I only got one word of encouragement this morning. Just was saying, I don't know what happened. I didn't write one. I feel terrible. <laughs> Ryan, your message was awesome. How many would agree with that? That was great. That was awesome. There you go. That's from Ty, by the way. And I know that there's a couple other folks watching that think you're pretty awesome, too. So, I mean, online, I should say. All right. Hey, a couple of announcements. Uh, college age this Monday night. Woohoo! We're finally going to do it. It's been like a month or so, but that's, uh, that's not on you. That's just on life. Uh, family fellowship dinner this week, Wednesday night. Uh, six o'clock, right? Six o'clock. Show up at the Kirkpatrick's with a potluck stuff and uh, entree and some other goodies to share. That'd be great. Drillinger barbecue Sunday evening, July 31st. Is that at 530? I, I think it's 530, but I don't know. I know it's on the bulletins, but we don't have any today. So anyway, there you go. We got a week to figure it out. So there you go. So barbecue at the Drillinger Sunday evening. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be a family barbecue. We're just going to hang out, enjoy life, and then we'll break bread. And then I guess there's going to be a family movie. And uh, my boat is Iron Will. If you've ever seen that movie, you know it's really cool. Yeah, isn't that an awesome movie? Totally clean, but totally exciting. And so, any. 5.30? 5.30, okay. 5.30 it is. All right. Any other announcements before we sing happy birthday to Ryan? Hey, Ty, it's your birthday this week too? Very, what? Today. Good night. Are you 16 yet? Why not? Oh, no, we got to sing to just... I don't think so. All right. Wow. Look at that. Come on, Justine. That's right. I can't believe you just did that. We'll point your finger at somebody else, even though I should get some too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Ty. So how old are you? Not 16, so you are? 11. All right. 11. That means four more years before your parents will be quaking in their boots. All right. You know what happens at 15, right? Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, start driving. Yeah. All right. Now those words are terrifying for parents. So anyway, so we're going to say happy birthday. And uh, my son Andrew's birthday is coming up this week, but uh, he got stuck in Chicago of all places to get stuck in and had to spend the night. So anyway, he just got back home just a few moments ago. So Lord willing, he'll be rested up and will be an evening assembly. So we're going to... What? Well, there. You <laughs> yeah, that's cool. And you know what? I'm almost 40 years old in the Lord too. But you're not 40 years old in the Lord, right? Eight. Eight. Okay. Good. All right. Here we go. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. God bless you. Happy birthday to you. Yeah, I forgot to sing happy birthday last week, so anyway. All right, here we go. Let's. Any other announcements? No other announcements? Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Mark 7. One little verse. I know that's unheard of. 
Mark chapter 7 and verse 37. Unfortunately, that's not, yeah, that's the right one. They were utterly astonished. I love that word. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. I don't know about you, but I love that verse. He does all things well. In fact, let's say it even more correctly. He does all things perfectly. You were created unique and distinct. You're infinitely valuable because he does all things well. Now, you might have made some poor choices along the way, but that does not devalue the amazing, unique human being that you are. All right? You need to know that. Everybody is infinitely valuable, whatever choices they make. But the choices they make are going to cause pain. And that's doesn't that makes you think that you're not valuable. You're infinitely valuable. Don't let anybody tell you different. Now, with that, our study today is on Christ and his amazing, awesome, incredible, astonishing, perfect power and competence. What is competency? means you, you're capable of doing something. Well, he's capable and did all things well, and he's even doing all things well right now. Let me ask you a question. If you have, as a child of God, if you have any struggle, he's only a second away from your petition, and he will hear you. And if you remain faithful and asking, he will answer may not be the way you want it answered, but he'll answer, guaranteed, he does all things well. I want you to turn with me now to the book of Colossians and chapter 1. This is what he does well. He has done infinitely, perfectly well in creation. He's done infinitely, perfectly well in redemption. And he's doing perfectly, infinitely well in, as our sovereign. We need to recognize that. If we don't recognize that, we choose to do our own thing rather than be in subjection to his will. Let me encourage you as we read this to see Jesus as the perfect creator, the perfect redeemer, and the perfect sovereign doing all things well. For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, the prototype of all creation, meaning all humanity. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and even now in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, the, the first to be raised from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Reading on, 
For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of deity to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Let's pray. Our holy God, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, as you've instructed us. And we want to this morning praise you and thank you for the encouragement that we get from the scriptures to know who Jesus is. Father, to trust someone is to know them. And to know them takes time. And to know them takes effort and energy on our part. And I pray, dear Heavenly Father, this morning, once again, we'd be reminded to be to give ourselves in, in greater effort to search out the truth about your Son, Jesus Christ, as the Creator, as the Redeemer, and as the only true sovereign. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week I said uh, to know him is going to take some time. Remember I talked about quality time. But you know what? It's even more than quality time. It's an awful lot of effort. How do you know someone for sure? You can spend time with them, but you have to be engaged, as we talked about, in learning about them. You know, when someone is courting, Courting is different than dating. And I always wonder, what's the difference between courting and dating? Hey, dating is just going out and having a good time. Getting kind of dangerous pretty fast. Courting is wanting to know about that person. Are they in alignment with your values? Are they in alignment with your life uh, uh, perspective, your worldview? Are they in alignment? If they're not in alignment, what is... What does light have in common with darkness? What is God having in common with the devil? What does, you see, don't be unequally yoked. So it's important for us to understand more than time only, it's effort in coming to know someone. Now, you're a Christian. You bear the name Christ. You're following someone. I asked of a Bible study just recently, person doesn't know anything about the Lord. And I said, how would you like to be recognized as the son of Adolf Hitler? He went, uh, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. But how would you like to be recognized as the son of God bearing the name of his son, Christ? You see, you need to know who you are bearing the name of. That's so important. If you're a Christian this morning, you bear the name Christian. What does that actually mean? Who are you actually following? Do you really know him? What does it mean that he does all things well? Well, I want to begin this morning by looking at the things that are in reference to Jesus that he has done well. He's the creator. And I'll tell you what, he has done all things well. Take a look with me. Let's go back to the book of Genesis. And believe it or not, we're going to go to chapter 1. Jesus, the great creator. And I'm going to read verse 1. And then I would like you to read all of chapter 1. Because there's great controversy in the world right now. In regards to whether we are created or have we evolved. One of the great questions you should ask yourself are we an evolutionary product of chance or are we the beautiful 
and magnificent divine creation of Jesus Christ. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the, the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day. I have to share with you that when you take a look at Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 through 5, there are many layers to that passage of scripture. The first one is, is that he created not physical light, but spiritual light in that he created the conduit by which his magnificent glory could be manifest to all mankind and all those in the heavenly places. When I say conduit, do you know what I'm saying? That which would deliver this uh, opportunity to see the light of God's very character. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. He says here that, that the physical universe did not exist. It was void. It was dark. And then he called in light. But if you peel it back a little bit, can I ask you a question? This is jumping a little bit ahead here. Before you were a Christian, what does the Bible say you were? Darkness. You were darkness. The Bible says you were darkness. You were in your sin. You were a sinner. You were a child of darkness. You were darkness, it says. The first morning of my life was August 12, 1982. Because that's when the Spirit of God, hovering over the water on the Deschutes River, as I was immersed into Christ, and the old was crucified and washed away, when I came up out of that water, filled with the Holy Spirit, and that was the first day that I stepped into the light of Christ Jesus. You see, there's a double meaning here. It's talking about the first day of creation the light of God's glory and the tool by which it would be manifest. And you know what tool that is? The gospel. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians and chapter 5. 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians and chapter 4. Probably you want to read your notes here instead of what I say. So 2 Corinthians and chapter 4. Some of you have heard this before. It's a beautiful passage of scripture. It's actually describing the day one creation. 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, beginning there in verse 3. Notice what he says. Even if our gospel, he's talking to Christians, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God, little g, the devil of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see what? The light of the gospel, the good news of the glory of Christ. He is the image of God. We read that in Colossians. He says, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord. But then look at what he says next in verse 6. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, 
is the one who has shown in your hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Brethren, on day one, God created our why. Why does everything exist? So that the gospel of glory could go forth not only in this physical realm, but also in the spiritual realm. If you study very carefully the scriptures, it teaches that the gospel of glory, known as the mystery of days old, was hidden until Jesus came and created the conduit by his sacrifice through which all of us can enter into heaven and possess light. Then he creates the physical universe. So what did he create on day two? Day two? He actually began the physical universe. There was water and there was substance, but he created actually the atmosphere, it says, and then the water. Day three, the land appears from the water. He sets the, the water in its place, the land in its place. And day three, he also plants all vegetation. Now, it's important that they're a 24-hour day because if he planted all the plants, the fourth day he did what? He created the sun, the moon, and the stars. Of course, plants need a little sun, and they need atmosphere. God did good. I think he did perfect. The atmosphere was perfect. The sunlight was ready to be launched. Get those plants in there. Boom. We'll give them a little light on the third day. And there it is. Well, those plants were for food. For what? For the fish. And for the birds of the air. Day five. Day six. He created all the furry critters. But he also created the scaly critters, the, the reptiles. He also created, of course, the amphibians. That's not, by the way, an evolutionary link between fish and furry things. Okay. Now, isn't it interesting he saved the best for last? They're saying, we know all of this. There is a controversy raging. And if you've been to a public school, if you've been to a college, if you've been to a university, their classes in biology teach one philosophy and one only and that is evolution when I went through high school it was all evolution when I went through college it was all evolution I was not given uh, the counter argument the counter theory or postulate and that is intelligent design brethren there is overwhelming evidence everywhere that we are designed, the creation, the beautiful creation is all designed. Everything has form, everything has function, everything is symbiotic. As Ryan was saying, everything works together beautifully. When man starts messing with it, that's when it gets messed up. Everything was started beautifully. Everything was created with the ability to reproduce after its own kind. Let me just share with you that the philosophies of men are so destructive. My question is, and this is important, could you prove that everything in the physical universe is created? Can you prove that not using the Bible? 
You need to. You need to know how amazing your creator is. When I was teaching a, a, a new college age group, the very first thing I did was I told them, there are so many things going on in this world right now. One of them is abortion. The murder of unborn human beings. And I said, you need to realize that suicide is going up. And the age group that suicide is going up the highest, most quickly, what age group? 17 to 25. They don't see any purpose. They don't see any meaning. They don't have any value. You see the evolutionary theory has profound, sick, morbid, satanic impact on humanity. How are you going to change someone's heart if they have come to believe that they're no more important than a bug? And you just get rid of the inconvenience. Because that's what evolution does. But if you help someone see that they are a unique, distinct, one of a kind, amazingly created, powerful, individual, priceless because they're one of a kind, you've opened a whole new door of light. When I was teaching those college age kids, there was eight of them were sitting at the table. And I shared that. I said, next week, I'm going to bring proof. So I have this DVD that's super powerful. It's one hour. And there's 10-minute increments. There's six of them. And at the very end, all these atheists that were talking about what their atheistic work was and how it was brought into question, they all begin to confess they believe in an amazing, intelligent designer. Two of them even said they believe in God Almighty. These are men astutely studied, well-studied, PhD degrees, and they were able to articulate. And then they showed at the very end of the video how we each one are uniquely designed. They went into the inner workings of the cell. There's over 300 300 working machines in every cell. Every cell of your body. There's over 300 designed with purpose and function machines in your every cell. Nanotechnology? <laughs> Nanotechnology? Absolutely, positively. And yet we're told that we're but monkeys or worse. No, we're not. We're designed by an amazing creator. If you can't prove that God created all things and Jesus Christ was the creator, you're a setup for the world. I'm telling you, I pray that you'll get to know him so well that when someone says we're just evolved, said, okay, so let's stop there for just a minute. Can I prove to you that God exists? And then he created everything. If they're willing to listen. Matt Keikla, atheist, was willing to listen. I love that guy. His birthday this week. Make sure that you wish him a happy birthday. 
God created a good one when they created Matt, when he created Matt Kaikula. So, very important, you recognize that if you can't prove that Jesus Christ created all things, there are a lot of really amazing people out there that are not going to know it and they're not going to make it to heaven. And it's possible that you might get shook out. How important is it to know that Jesus is the creator of the universe? Your every breath was granted to you because of his amazing creation. Every moment of your life because of his amazing creation. But more importantly, he's the great redeemer. The great redeemer. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah and chapter 7 and verse 14? Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. You know this passage of scripture. It is so awesome. I love this passage. And so many of you know it. Verse 14, talking of Jesus, the great redeemer. Therefore, I behold you well. Did you know that when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant and they had not had marital intimacy, he was going to get rid of her. But he's going to do it quietly because he was a righteous man and didn't want her to be stoned to death. Nice guy. Actually, that was amazing, actually, for that day. And then that very night when he had that thought, the angel Gabriel came to him in a dream and said, Hey, hey Joseph. Do not do that. The child in Mary is because it's overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And that child is the Son of God. And you'll name his name Jesus, for he's the one who will save his people. And then the angel quotes this very passage of Scripture. And Joseph goes, oh, yeah, I remember that one. My son is going to be the one who saves the world. And when that baby came in to the, from the womb, he named him, she named him Jesus, the one who saves. I don't know about you, but that's extremely powerful. Notice he laid it out in the scriptures for us through prophet Isaiah, and then he fulfills it beautifully in, as we know, Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 18, through the end of that chapter. But it wasn't just that he came into the world. He had to do something to save it. Would you go with me to the book of Isaiah 53? While we're in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, I just want to read a couple verses there. Verse 10, down to verse 12. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. For by his knowledge, the righteous one, speaking of Jesus, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he, he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressors. There is no one else that did that for you or for me. For the transgressors, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone is lost until 
they are united with Jesus and his blood washes away their sin. I love 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. Do you know what it says? He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin, literally have the sin removed from us, and that we now would be empowered to walk in the newness of life righteously. I love that. That's the gospel in one little verse. That's the good news in one little verse. How is it possible that God could create that plan on the very first day and then execute it so perfectly, so beautifully in Jesus Christ? Because the plan was set and he lived that plan so that you and I could have salvation. You think you can be good enough to get into heaven? God says no one's good, not even one outside of Christ. But when God enters into you and only God is good, guess what you are then? In God's eyes, you are good and can be transformed into that beautiful new creation that he created you on your day one. Mine was August 12th, 1982. When was your day one? When the spirit hovered over the water and you came up out of that water and you were filled with the spirit and now the light of God's glory can be manifest in your body. Talk about a perfect plan and he laid it out perfectly and we're living it. If we know him and absolutely are convinced that he did those things for us and we are in him. Well, it's beautiful to know that he bore our sins, but even more important, it's exciting to know that this guy can deliver on his promises. He made promises to all the Old Testament faithfuls. How many of you know where he went when he was buried? Where'd he go when he was buried? He went to paradise when he was buried. How do you know that? Well, because I have it written down right here. Well, no, that's not how you know it. Let's take a look. Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. Luke chapter 24 and... Uh, Verse 39 through 43, 24. Here he is. He's on the cross. One of the criminals who was hanged there was hurling abuse at Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Where's paradise and what is it? Do your own Bible study. Paradise is where the souls of those who have been faithful to God go when they die. When Lazarus died, the angels came for him and he was escorted to paradise where he was comforted. The guy that he begged food from and, and was refused because he was selfish, hey man, I got mine and mine is mine and I'm not sharing. That rich man ended up in hell. Now, brethren, you need to understand that there's a lot of folks in paradise at that time. 
In fact, go back with me, if you would, to the right here. It's Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. Probably should have stayed in Isaiah. Sorry about that. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61, right near the end of Isaiah. There is a proclamation here. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance, our God, to comfort all who mourn. Now, I want you to take a look at this statement in verse 2. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He set the captives free. You know what the favorable year of the Lord is? It's the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee is when they were supposed to cancel every debt. Every debt in the nation of Israel was to be canceled. So if I owed Heidi $5,000 for whatever, on the year of Jubilee, if she didn't pay up, the debt was forgiven. You say, well, that's terrible. No, God was giving us a picture. When Jesus died on the cross, he bore all of our sins. He paid our debt. We are what? Set free. Did you know as a Christian, you're living in the year of Jubilee? Did you know that? You're free. If you don't know that, you don't understand Jesus. You don't understand the Redeemer and what he's done. He set you free and he's empowered you now. Now what about the folks in the Old Testament? They did little animal sacrifices. Woe to the little lammies and the little calfies and the little goaties. They all got slaughtered. And it wasn't the blood of bulls and goats that could cleanse anybody. So what was going on? That's God using a tool to roll the sins forward. You know, if they were faithful in those sacrifices with the right heart, God was rolling their sins forward, rolling their sins forward, rolling their sins forward. Who was he rolling them forward to? Just kicking the can down the road. That's exactly what God was doing. And when they died, if they were faithful, they went to paradise. It was kind of that really cushy waiting room. Have you ever been to a dentist's office before when the waiting room wasn't cushy? And it smelled like burning teeth and just nasty, old, nasty, ah, horrible torture. Because you knew what was coming, it was going to get worse. That's hell in waiting for the lake of fire. That's not a good analogy, but I don't know about you. I do not like going to the dentist. Anyway, so that's my analogy. But what about what about everything is just nice and wonderful and sweet, and the great dentist, physician dentist, is never hurt but only healed. And they got the best magazines there. They have the latest edition of Field and Stream every time. How does he know that I like that one? It's amazing. Notice, so important, our Redeemer does it perfectly. Those people in paradise were awaiting the Messiah. Where did the Messiah go after he died? He went to paradise and he proclaimed the captives were set free. Three years he ministered so he could deliver salvation. Three days he ministered to those people preaching the gospel so they could be delivered. How many know on the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the tombs opened up of all the faithfuls. And then when Jesus 
comes marching out of the tomb on the third day. Guess who comes marching out with him? Uh, hundreds of witnesses in Jerusalem. They were all hanging out in Jerusalem. Can you imagine? Hey, there's David. <laughs> Moses. Oh, my good Moses. Could you imagine? Elijah. I would love to have seen Elijah. Okay. That happened. I don't believe that. He's a great redeemer. That's what he did. But he bought your place in heaven if you'll remain faithful. Brethren, I want you to turn with me, if you would, to the next passage of Scripture, Psalms chapter 16, verses 7 through 11. Psalm 16, verses 7 through 11. This might be a familiar passage to you. Psalm 16. We've, we've worked on this one before quite a bit, a couple of years ago. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, to the grave, nor will you allow my your Holy One to undergo decay. You're not going to stay in the grave. You will make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy in your right hand. There are pleasures forever. You know, when you go back and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, you know, it talks about the gospel. And you know what it talks about in regards to the gospel? That you were buried with him, crucified with him, buried with him, raised up with him to walk in newness of life. That's the good news. You have power now, not just freedom, but power. If you don't know the redemption and the redeemer, you don't understand what you have. And you know what? It just becomes pew sitting. I don't mean to be mean when I say that, but you know what? You're interfacing with people who are desperately, desperately wanting out of this mess. I was sharing a story about a young man who wants to be a professional baseball player. Really a great guy. Excellent in his trade as a baseball player. And he heard that he was infinitely valuable. He saw the pictures on the DVD of how he is an amazing creation. And he wanted out of the life that he'd been living. 20 years old. He says, would you have a Bible study with me? Just me, so I can understand. Man, I don't know about you, but he wants to know the Redeemer. And so that's what we're going to do, is we're going to teach him his, who his great Redeemer is. You know, sometimes we take for granted what we have. I hate to tell you this, but there are times when I take my wife for granted. You know, I'm in the, yeah, I'm telling on myself now. I'm in the kitchen doing coffee, and Sharon comes in and stands there looking at me. And I look at her and I went, oh, it looks like you need a hug. Wow, that is painful. That's painful, man. You know what she's really saying? And I'm, I'm just not, this is not on her. So I'm not, I'm just saying this is on me. This is completely on me. I've taken her for granted. Do we ever take the Lord Jesus, our Redeemer, for granted for what he's given? Not only has he raised us up with him, as it says here, it says here that Jesus is in his presence. When we were, became Christians, we were raised up and we were seated with him in the heavenly places. Amen? 
You are in the presence of the king always. You have the king's ear every moment of every day. I don't know about you, but talk about a perfect redeemer. He just doesn't clean us up. He empowers us and gives us a position of power. If we understand that, we can go forth confidently. Brethren, in closing of this point, Psalms 110, I want you to read it on your own because we're just right out of time. You know what? Jesus is going to come back to judge the living and the dead. And there is nothing wrong with that if you're living for him. The redemption doesn't fully engage until he comes back and rescues us and we're found to be in the right line as sheep. And we'll hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, Sherry, for all the beautiful things you've ever done for me. I love that. I can't wait for that. Can you? Well, yeah, of course we will. But isn't that beautiful? So we continue to have this great excitement and hope of redemption. Are our redemption secure in Christ? Yes. Will we get to heaven? If we remain faithful, just like the Old Testament folks. And will be redeemed. Body, soul, and spirit at the last day. Now my last point is critically important as well. But we are out of time. You know what it means that Jesus is the sovereign? Go back to Psalms 45. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you can choose now to bow the knee and confess him as your sovereign your Lord, your Master, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, where you will when you get to heaven. But when you get to heaven, it will be too late because you would not have lived for him as your Lord, as your Master. So let me share with you in the book of Matthew in chapter 11, the last three verses. Beautiful passage in closing. Let's turn there. He is the great creator. He's the great redeemer. And he is the great sovereign. And listen to the great sovereign of all the universe. All authority in heaven and on earth was given to Jesus. He's the one and only sovereign. Notice what it says there. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The great creator, the great redeemer, the great sovereign desires that you would know him. And when you do, you're really going to rise up and walk. Let's close in a word of prayer. Thank you, Holy Father. We praise you so much for the rich blessing that you've granted to us in Christ Jesus. Help us to remember, Father, that your son is our great creator, redeemer, and sovereign. And he's done all things well. He's done all things perfectly. We can trust him with everything in our life. We praise you and thank you for this knowledge. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's get all excited. What did Jesus say to you? He said to go. go. Get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. Get all excited. Go tell everybody that 
Jesus Christ is King. Jesus Christ is still the King of Kings. King of Kings. Alright, let's go let people know. Thanks once again for listening. To download today's lesson plan or find out more about Cornerstone Truth Podcast and our church, please go to www.cornerstonetruth.org or email us at thecornerstonetruth at gmail.com. Have a blessed week.